never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Hi guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another fantastic day for an interview, and I'm indeed honored to have Sarah LaBelle here with me. Sarah is a woman who has gone through hell and back and kept going, and is now out there to make this world truly a better place by highlighting the risks and the problems that that many, especially women, but also men or transgender people feel out there. And we're talking about human trafficking. We're talking about modern slavery. And you think, oh, come on, what the hell? Just a few cases here and there. No, guys, we're going to share a bit of reality with you out there and share that it is actually a fate that applies to millions and millions of wretched souls and that's it's uh, uh. so it's it's going to be a, a deep dive into this topic and it's going to be a, quite a brutal topic so guys bit of a trigger warning there but we need to talk about these things you out there might actually be be aware of people around you who maybe fall into that category and by us raising awareness with you maybe it empowers you to help others so here we go. Sarah, I'm so grateful that you're here. Welcome. Thank you. It's an honor. And side yeah. note, I should have you start writing my my little snippets of bios for me. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it is. It is. I mean, here are you. I mean, what bigger uh, what bigger ovaries can you have than you actually <laughs> saying, um, you see, I want to say balls, but sorry, it doesn't apply. You're right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're going out there and saying, yes, I've been trafficked. Mm -hmm. So let's talk. And yeah. come on, that's a, <laughs> that's a showstopper there. <laughs> and yeah. that's beautiful. But I mean, you, you never grew up and, and when you were eight years old and you think, well, you know what? I think one day I will be, I will be famous and go on to shows, etc. Who did you want to be when you were, when you were a little girl? Oh my gosh. So it changed a lot. Um, oh. <laughs> so I, I initially, you know, every kid dreams of like being a rock star, or like, you know, famous in some way. So I had this idea, like, you know, I don't know if you, you remember gem, but it was yeah. an old cartoon from the eighties. I was like, I want to do that. Then I decided I wanted to do hair. Then I went through a phase where I just really wanted to work in an office and like, just carry papers around. And I don't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I just loved the idea of like being corporate. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and it just so, shows we never know really what what will happen to us absolutely. in the future. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. If you if you had told me back then that I would be doing a my my corporate day job, but then also sharing my story and even having lived this story to share, yeah. Yeah. never would have believed you ever. <laughs> oh dear. So, how was school for you? You mean like in my younger years or college? Yeah. Well, uh, uh, well, both, both. Yeah, yeah. So. I grew up very typical middle class, like Southern California, parents were together, you know, the 2.3 kids or whatever they say that <laughs> classic <laughs> ratio. Um, but you know, it was, it was good. I was like straight A student, honor roll, like very much people pleaser and the good mm -hmm. kid, right? Like my parents would tell me something and you better believe I was going to go full force. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't until my later teen years that I started dabbling with drinking and you know, you go out to parties and try some drugs here and there. Um, 
But, you know, I also, I went to a, a private Baptist school for high school and junior high. <laughs> so the force fed a lot of religion. <laughs> um, but it, it, I, I, I struggled a lot with that, like Christian guilt kind of thing with everything that I did. It was like, oh my gosh, am I going to go to hell? Like, this is mm. horrible. Mm. Um, but, you know, then I got over that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. May I ask you, when mm -hmm. you were first exposed to to alcohol, um, uh, who did you turn into? What did the alcohol give you that you had not had in your life? So I was, I should add that I was really shy as ah, a kid. Like okay. I was that kid. I would go to birthday parties, even as a small child. And like, it's almost like the energy of the room and the energy of the people was overwhelming to me. And so, you know, once I tried alcohol, it was like, oh, <laughs> a little exactly. looser. I'm a little exactly. more talkative. Exactly. I feel more confident. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> same here. Same here. Exactly yeah. the same. Oh, dear. <laughs> and therefore it is, you know, that is the, the pitfall because we, alcohol and drugs and certain mm -hmm. behaviors do give us something. They right. relieve us from some tension. They mm -hmm. they sometimes take away the pain. In your case, right. there wasn't actually so much pain there, but intrinsically you were sort of an empath, a shy person, um, mm -hmm. and suddenly you were more outgoing. Oh, hello, right. alcohol, bring it yeah. on. Yeah, this okay. feels good. <laughs> um, okay, so Baptist church, and what does mm -hmm. a Baptist girl do when she wants to really rebel? Oh, she's going out with boys. What did that oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But even even then, like the Christian guilt with dating and stuff. I mean, I was a I was a prude in high school, which, right. <laughs> you know, it was. And I think it was also partially because of insecurities. You know, right. it was like, Ooh, I just what if they don't like me? <laughs> mm. Oh, OK. I know. <laughs> OK. Um, so what happened then? So, um. It wasn't really until my early 20s that life really started to spiral out of control. Um, I had been in a relationship and we had just broken up and I found out I was pregnant. And I was like, crap, <laughs> what, mm. what do I do? And at the time, so I went to school for fashion. I went to the Fashion Institute in LA and I was working in fashion. So my income wasn't stable. I was freelance. Like mm. it, I, I really struggled with what's the right decision to do here. Um, and ultimately I decided to have an abortion. I was like, this is a responsible thing. And, and God bless my ex-boyfriend who was there through all of it. While we were making that decision together every night, he would come over with hot meals and like whatever you need. He was, he's great. Still a great friend of mine today. Aww. Really good person. Yeah. Um, but I had the abortion and I, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but there's a couple of different ways that you can have abortions. There's like, and I hate to get graphic here, but there's like, you know, the in-office, I hate calling it a vacuum. That sounds so terrible, but... I, I mean, know what you mean, yeah. Or, yeah. Um, but there's also a pill that you can take. Mm. So they give you one pill in the office and one pill when you get home. And essentially it like forces a miscarriage in a mm. sense. And what I wasn't prepared for was A, the, the pain, mm. <laughs> my God, B, just almost like the brutality of it. It was, it was horrible. It was horrible. Um, you know, something that it's, it's hours long process and you're just like, Oh my God, what am I doing right now? It was horrific. Mm -hmm. So they did give me pain pills for that. 
I go back to the doctor for a checkup and they're like, it didn't fully work. You have to do it again. I was like, you've got to be kidding with me. Like, wow. Wow. okay. What? It was, it was horrific. So of course they gave me more pain pills and that's when things spiraled out of control for me. They gave me these opiates and a physically I felt great. <laughs> Nothing hurt, but emotionally I was able to numb myself in a way that it of was course. like, all the pain was gone. And, you know, I was living in LA, you know, every, everybody knows somebody who they can call up and be like, Hey, give some pills. <laughs> like, can I buy some off of you? Mm. Um, and it was very easy to continue to feed my addiction. And what I didn't know at the time is how physically dependent I had gotten on them. Mm. So you try to stop and all of a sudden you're kicked full force into detox. And it's like, I don't have time for this right now. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to ride this out a little longer and I'll figure it out. And that became this like mantra in my head. Like I'm going to figure it out. It's just, there's too much going on with work. There's too much going on in life and I don't have time to detox. And the few times that I tried, it's, you know, it's so physically painful that it's like, screw this. I'm, Mm. I'm not doing this. Like again, I'll figure this out Mm. another time. Mm. And that's when everything really went to to hell in a handbasket. So <clears throat> my life very quickly deteriorated. Um, you know, I was able to kind of keep the secret for a long time. Like people didn't realize how bad it was. Mm-hmm. But, you know, after a while, like my, my boss um, at the time was a recovering addict. And he, you know, he's like... It's not right. I see it. Uh, and God bless him. He tried to sit me down and have a conversation with me about it. And I was like, no, I think I'm just depressed. Like, cause the shame, right? Like who wants to admit I've spiraled out of control and I don't know how to stop this. Um, and I ended up losing my job. My car got repoed. My landlord kicked me out. I was officially homeless, like officially had nowhere to go. Just bag of clothes on my back. Um, and so, you know, I would find random friends to crash with and just kind of bebop around. And next thing you know, you're hanging out with like worse and worse people. And it's, it's like every step you take, like Mm. it's, it's such a slow progression. You know, I think about those people that I was around now and I'm like, Oh my God, like Mm. that's insane. But it was such a slow progression of like, well, this person's not that bad. And they're a friend of so-and-so. So they're probably okay. Um, but, you know, essentially my, my family had had enough of my crap. They were like, <laughs> God bless them. They were trying to do Al-Anon because they knew I was not okay. But, you know, they're like, you can't stay here. And I know my family has so much regret over that now because of what happened. But they also, in the same sense, were doing the right thing. They were doing the best they could with what they were learning in the rooms. Um, so anyway, I went to a party one night and had a drink and it was like that, like that was it. I had been drugged and was continuously drugged for weeks, months after. And essentially it was just kind of passed from human to human who unbeknownst to me, like I was getting purchased, which is mind blowing. Um, but that's really how it all kind of came together. It was, you know, an unfortunate situation, I carried a lot of sadness from the abortion in general. And the opiates just numbed all of that pain for me. And you always think that you've you've got this and you've got a handle on it. And then next thing you know, it's like, oh my God, how did I get here? Like what is going on? Wow. Mm-hmm. 
How long did that period last? Just a couple months, fortunately. Um, my family is they're like pit bulls, <laughs> very protective Ooh, of one another. So nice. I had my mom had called one of my aunts who then called another one of my aunts whose husband is a former Marine. And he was like, <laughs> we're getting her. But it was it was great. I'll never forget this moment. Um, so the the last house that I was in, he had this insane camera system. And so I could watch like everything happening outside the house, inside the house. Um, and I was sitting on the couch one day and this black SUV keeps driving by. And I'm like, oh, wouldn't that be great if it was someone for me like coming to get me? And lo and behold, my family had hired a private investigator who dug into the guy whose house I was at, who reached out to law enforcement. They said, holy crap, like we have to go today. We have to go right now. Like the person that she's with, like she could be dead in 24 hours. So it was for me and classic, like something you would picture in a movie. Like it's surreal, like all the cop cars pull up and you know, I'm escorted out nothing but like a giant t-shirt and like these giant stripper heels that I had because they were the only shoes I had. But oh, I remember no. seeing my family outside and I hadn't seen them in years. And I just, I've never ran so fast in my life. It's like, I'm out <laughs> like, okay, time to start over. What are we doing? Like, just get me out of here. Yeah. It was, it was intense. Fuck me. Oh, wow. What to say. What to say? I mean, from from a from a doctor's point of view, from a medical point of view, I mean, you see that kind of beautiful, I don't know, Hollywood rescue happening, right? But the story doesn't start there. Stop there. The mm -hmm. story only just begins. Yeah. On both. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> a mental way, a mental perspective, but also often enough, on a very physical way. Mm -hmm. um, the people who look who look after you during that time are not the nicest. Mm -hmm. um, so many women end up raped, physically torn, physically infected with mm -hmm. with sexual transmitted diseases. Um, mm -hmm. There's a whole range of of problems that are potentially there. And I don't want to be now too graphic, but uh, there sure. is quite an, an incidence of, of severe chronic pelvic pain after, mm -hmm. after such episodes. So there are a lot of things that were potentially on the cards for you. Yep. How did that play out? So, you know, in, in addition to all of that, the drugs that I was being given, um, it was mostly GHB, which is like the classic date rape drug. And the beauty of it for me is that I don't remember a lot of the details, but nice. when I left that house, I mean, I was covered in bruises. I, I was, it was brutal. Um, and again, because of those drugs mentally, it was like, I didn't know what was real anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. Like reality was so skewed and I felt like I couldn't trust anybody. Like certain smells would trigger me. Like mm -hmm. there were so many things happening Absolutely. that I just didn't, I didn't understand. And, um, fortunately for me, I, I did get a clean bill of health. I didn't contract anything oh. during that time, which is shocking. Um, oh. but but yeah, I mean, the body remembers all of it, right? So I'm having these reactions to my trauma and going, exactly. what the hell is happening right now? Like why? And to this day, my, I, I know when I'm stressed because my hips tighten up and that's uh. my first indicator if I'm stressed. 
And it's, it's something that stuck with me for the last, you know, 15, 20 years since all this happened that it's like, okay, something's up. My body's trying to tell me something right now, like slow down and listen. Um, but God bless my family because they really tried to rehabilitate me themselves. Like they moved me from LA out to Georgia, um, to stay with them, like just separate you from everything, take your phone. And the, the really horrible thing about all of it is that when, when I left, there was this piece of me that was like, almost like Stockholm syndrome, Mm -hmm. like where it was like, okay, that it was a horrible situation. But in my head, it was like, I had a roof over my head. I, you know, I wasn't on the streets Mm -hmm. and there was this weird pull that I kept having like emotionally towards this horrific human being. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. was really hard to reconcile too. that. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it took a lot of treatment and doctors to be like, this is normal. Like it's Mm -hmm. okay. Um, considering your circumstances, but I had, I had so much to unwind mentally that it was, it was so hard. Like that, that first couple of years after leaving LA and coming out to Georgia was just a constant, like, who am I? What happened? What's real? Exactly. It was, it was horrible. It was horrible. Wow. So that's interesting that they use GHB, and I'm not surprised about that at all. GHB, often enough, in the victim, um, breaks down all the boundaries. And often Mm -hmm. there is such a paradoxical kind of sexual behavior there, uh, Mm -hmm. and they're very outgoing, like you actually uh, um, having no trouble making love with free men. Uh, and seemingly enjoying it. So it's the right. ideal track, unfortunately, for that has been used for these circumstances. To a certain degree, that the sheer fact that they didn't continue with the opiates was actually a blessing because you actually went through detox whilst you I were did. there. You're <laughs> correct. Yes, you're correct. By the time I got out to Georgia, I was like, oh, well, I guess that's a weird silver lining. I, I, yeah, I had gone through <laughs> detox unbeknownst to me. So. Hey. <laughs> Fuck. It's just, it's, I mean, it's it's brutal, the whole thing, as it sort of happened. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I wow, your parents are amazing. Your family is amazing um, they that are. they held together because they truly hated the addiction, but they loved the addict. Yes. And that is that is the most beautiful thing that one can hear. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Uh, and again, then thereafter, to to hear you saying, "Hey, I was this empty shell of a woman. Right. Who am I? Um, this is I experienced exactly the same thing after I went into rehab. I was mm-hmm. empty. I had been defining myself as a as a pain physician for such a long time. I only could define myself in my work. I could define myself in my dreams, in the alcoholic fused dreams. Um, but then thereafter, when when I was forced to to calm down or stop stop the manic kind of lifestyle I was living, to now say, okay, who am I? I had mm-hmm. no answer. How, yeah. uh, for me, it was actually a an intriguing time because it was an empty canvas. I could paint anything on that canvas. So I started exploring. Uh, what kind of explorations did you do? Who who did you become in those oh my early years? <clears throat> so, so let me preface by saying that after spending a few months with my aunt and uncle, I was like, I need to go somewhere. I need, I need inpatient, get me into right. a halfway house. Like right. I've got to, I've got to completely reset. 
Hmm. Um, and while I was in treatment, they did a lot of art therapy and I've always loved painting. I've always loved uh, writing. Like I'm very creative in that sense. And yeah. I had neglected that for so long. Right. And so getting yeah. back in there, like I still every year make vision boards and it was something I picked uh, up in treatment that it's like, okay, intentions, like set your intentions. And, um, yeah, I spent, and then I got, I picked up running again. Like I, I really tried to tap into those parts of myself that I had neglected and it was, it was an interesting and almost like safe endeavor doing that, right. To lean Beautiful. back into something like from childhood that felt really safe and fulfilling. And, you know, the great thing about art and writing is that there's this tangible output, right. There's mm -hmm. an outcome that you can look at and be like, wow, that's beautiful. And I'm happy with the work I just did. And it was like those small little things that helped me rebuild my self-esteem because I was shot, right? I was, exactly. there was, like you said, empty shell. There was nothing left in me. And I felt like crap. Oh. There's all that shame and self-blame and, oh, oh. you know, but having, <laughs> tapping into those creative parts of myself really opened up like, okay, there's a heart in here. And there's a, a woman who, is trying to figure things out and doing yeah. the best that she can. But I did something today and it was creative and it's beautiful and I love it. Wow. That's beautiful. I started baking cheesecakes. Um, I, always, I, I always, I always had this, this kind of saying, there's not enough cheesecake in this world. That was something to say, you know, hey, this, this world needs more help. Uh, and I actually took that literally. I learned how to bake a proper German cheesecake. I, I wrote a, I wrote a book about baking German cheesecakes. It's the no most, kidding. Oh, I did, but it's the most horrible book because as a doctor, <laughs> I, I, I wrote the encyclopedia of German cheesecakes. And then I thought, yeah. oh, I better, I better put some recipes in there. <laughs> it's just oh it's shit. But it was me learning. It was me becoming right. creative. It was me mm -hmm. becoming that new person. And so it is lovely to hear that, that you came back with your art. Yeah. Um, but then uh, sooner or later, the, the money has to come back in. Um, mm -hmm. How was your your path back into the workforce? Yeah. So the treatment, so I I did two stints in treatment. So we'll start with the first one. Um because that's the beauty of every recovery story, right? It's never a smooth linear path. <laughs> it's got all the bumps and spins and twirls. No, and... really. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the first treatment center that I was in, you had to get at a certain point, you had to get like your recovery job, right? Mm. So I did retail. I'd done retail in college and stuff. So I knew, okay, this, this I can do. And, um, and it, uh, I, I really, <laughs> I'm going to sound like such an egotistical jerk, but this is who I was at the time. But, you know, I had worked in fashion and I had done all these great photo shoots and <laughs> runway shows. And like in my head, it was like, you know, I am somebody like screaming to the world. Like, I promise you, I am somebody. So I was extremely obnoxious with like, well, let me tell you my stories about who I've met. <laughs> And I look back now and I'm like, oh God, so gross. <laughs> um, so the retail job was humbling, right? It it was like, okay, cool. That's great that like you did all these great things, but you're like helping people find hiking shoes now. So exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. that's making minimum wage. And that's, that's where you're at right now. Um, but, you know, I, I got out of treatment and I was staying with family again and I had a family member who had a knee surgery and they left their pain pills on the counter. And I was like, Hmm, 
I bet I could do just one. Craig's, we, all, we all think that. I've got this. I can do just one. And, you know, it's like like that phrase of, you know, trying to chase the dragon. It was like, after having gone so long without it, when I took that pill, I was like, there's my best friend again, you know, because I viewed I viewed my my drugs as like my biggest supporter and my best friend. It's mm. what comforted me through hard times and helped me forget about all the crappy things in my life. So it was like reacquainting with an old friend. And um, it's mm. uh, it was a downward spiral from there real quick. And again, it's it's amazing because here in Georgia, I only had friends that were in the recovery community. You know, we'd go to meetings together, all that stuff. And it's like, you find that one person in the room who you know is a little, <laughs> they're toe in the line. And it's amazing how, how quickly as an addict, you can find whatever you want. It's baffling. We are, we are a baffling breed <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> like, just make it, it like, all come together. That's yeah, what sniffer dogs. Yeah. You know, exactly. Exactly. On a good, in a, in a good, uh, from a good point of view, you can't bullshit a bullshitter. So yes. you will recognize another addict a mile away. Mm -hmm. But equally, you will recognize another addict a mile away when you want exactly. it for the wrong purposes. Yes, oh my. exactly. Exactly. Oh my. So that was also very short lived. And it, it you know, I mean, Why? you know, they. Why was it short lived? Well, well, because, you know, if you sit in enough meetings, you hear that, like, you go back out and you think that you can use the levels that you used to use and uh. how quickly it just gets worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And this one, I think I think I was back out for maybe three months and it went from that one pill all the way to like, hmm, what's heroin like? I hear that's cheaper, right? Ooh. I mean, it's that it's that drastic and that quick. So I had reached a point where I was like, all right, I got to, I got to pull it together. So I parked outside of a very well-known detox center here in Atlanta. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do X amount of this substance. And if it doesn't kill me, I'll go check myself in. If it, and if it does, then problem solved, right? And I look back at that moment and what a pivotal moment, because in all the years that I have bought drugs, I've never gotten like a bad batch, you know, and it was a bad batch. Lucky for me. I was like, wow, I just did a lot of that. And I don't feel anything crap. That means I got to follow through with this. <laughs> like, you know, those, those foxhole prayers of like, okay, I'm going to do it. And then it comes time and I'm like, oh God, I have to walk in the doors of that building. Like, <laughs> what Sarah, what? you are so freaking lucky. Oh my god. I know. Uh, and when was that? You said it was about 20 years ago. So is that about right? Yeah, 15, 15 years ago, I yeah. came out to Georgia. So I'm turning 40 this year. Mm. And I came out to Georgia when I was 25. So 25. So 15 years ago, we have got mm -hmm. 2023 now. So um 18, 2008. Um sounds right. Duh. The reason I did the maths is because the fentanyl ep epidemic uh, really started 2014 um, yes. thereabouts in the in the rave culture, um, and so and and nowadays you have got the whole oh my god highly highly potent drugs. So Terrifying. whilst you had your last shot was was a fizzer, um, mm -hmm. that could have been the other way around. You could exactly. have had you know uh, just mm -hmm. a little bit, and a little bit kills you because it is yep. uh, so much more. Uh, uh, 
potent because someone just sprinkled some fentanyl a bit over it yeah. uh, and God knows if there are hot spots where there's shitloads of fentanyl and then in right. others, nothing. Oh my God. Um, so I different have been story. Watching, yeah, I have been watching more and more documentaries about this whole rise in fentanyl and I thank my lucky stars every day that I am not an, an addict mm. <laughs> right now. It is mm. terrifying. Absolutely. And you know, I just, I know my experience and all that it led me to, right? Like I was, I was trafficked. Like that's like the worst of the worst. But I mean, you see these, these documentaries and these people that are suffering with like this, this drug that like, they don't even know what they're putting in their system anymore. It's, it's just, okay. it's, it's terrifying, terrifying. Man, you were lucky. You were so yeah. lucky. And I was very, very lucky. But, so, so yeah, I, I walked in those doors <laughs> and they were like, we don't have a bed for you. <laughs> I was like, do you dodge that bullet? But mm. unbeknownst to me, a friend of mine was on the phone with my aunt and uncle here in Georgia uh, going, something's up. We need to intervene. So as I'm leaving this hospital parking lot, I get a call from my family and they're like, you need to come over. We need to talk. I'm like, yeah, we do. And so it was, it was like, all these things happening in the background and it, you know, the universe is so wonderful, right? Cause when, when the stars need to align, they align and they aligned for me that day. And my aunt was so sweet. She was like, okay, I did all this research. And when was the last time you used and like, you know, the, okay, it's hour six. So you're probably going to be feeling like this. Oh, and I mean, God bless her, oh. but, um, but a bed opened up the next morning. So first thing in the morning, I went and started my detox process which was horrible, <laughs> horrible, horrible, horrible. Um, and uh, yeah, then I went into another treatment center after that. Mm. Well, so it is horrible. It is a, a matter of, for most people, it's a matter of days and weeks. There mm -hmm. is this post, um, there's this kind of delayed recovery. So there is, or delayed detox, shall I say, um, that can sometimes go on for weeks and months. That is not mm -hmm. pretty. Um, how long in reality was it for you if you were to look back? Can you remember? Oh, I honestly don't remember. Uh, yeah. I Yeah, I, I truly don't remember. Um, yeah. You know, the, the treatment center that I ended up going into was really interesting. It was a different one from the first one that I went to. Um, and in in that program i was surrounded by some really like eclectic unique beautiful women who just like had such a spark and such a zeal that it made it really easy to not focus on like how i'm feeling you know nice. um we were always were these, doing were these other and... were these other patients or were these other inmates as i call them or were yeah, these exactly, were, or were these uh were these uh also staff no. So it was, I mean, there were some staff members that were incredible, but yeah. it was, you know, the other women that, that were in the treatment center and they right. were just, just incredible. Like, right. yeah, I, I am very, very grateful that I landed with this, this group of women that I did. And, um, I, I made a decision. I was so terrified of relapsing again that I was like, I'm going to stay until they kick me out. And I did. <laughs> I, I stayed for like a year and a half and I just moved to their three quarter house. And finally, I remember telling my therapist there one day, I was like, I'm just so comfortable here. Like, I feel like mm. I could just stay here forever. And she's mm. like, that means you need to go. And I'm like, oh. Exactly. Now, stop, stop, so stop, 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 stop. Um, I... I went one month rehab and that was $27,000. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah. a year and a half. If I just quickly calculate that up, that puts tears in my eyes. Yeah. Is, <laughs> is your family swimming in money? <laughs> so, so here's here's the cool thing about the program that I went to. It's a 90-day program, yeah. which God God bless them for paying for that for me because I certainly was not capable. But the halfway house situation, you had to go out and work and uh, you had okay. to pay rent. And basically they taught you how to like be an adult again. You know, <laughs> like you've got bills, you have to get your groceries, but you're Good. living in this environment where you're still getting drug tested. Like brilliant. you're brilliant. safe. There's staff there if you need to like yeah. talk, if something comes up um, and aftercare programs, right. Of like, group therapy with other people who are venturing back out into the world and trying nice. to figure out what's next. Um, so yeah, rest assured, it was not a year and a half of $27,000. <laughs> boy, boy, boy. Okay, cool, 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 cool. And even then you could say, well, what is, what is a life worth? But only right. those, only those people who have worked really, really hard in their life um, and were able to accrue some money uh, can really say that so many mm -hmm. other people that end up in your shoes they end mm -hmm. up in your shoes and there is no background. Right. I, I certainly came from from very poor circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, so my parents could have not afforded that. And it right. had happened to me as a, as a younger person. Um, so, I mean, in all fairness, there are, there are treatment uh, centers out there. There are treatment places out there uh, who are government funded. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes, and they can be very, very good. There's just, yeah. it, it all depends upon the the heart of the people who are looking after you and yes. their their commitment to you. And I think that is that is that is where we all come full circle because here mm -hmm. you are now going out there and giving back to society. You are mm -hmm. going out there and actually talking about your your experiences, the lessons you had to learn the hard way, mm -hmm. and hopefully now working not as the ambulance on the bottom of the cliff, but rather up there trying to build a fence uh, that right. prevents the people actually falling down. Exactly. Uh, so I exactly. like it. I like that a lot. Ow. Um, but here you were. So that was the first two years were chaotic. You were still, mm -hmm. you were still sort of in and out of rehab. You were uh, still that <laughs> egotistical cow <laughs> yes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay <laughs> we all have been there <laughs> what changed how did your post-traumatic growth actually really got going so I got pregnant with my son and I at the time was working so so after my second treatment stint I got a job as like a front office manager um, and basically kind of weaseled my way into marketing because <laughs> like, I hated, I hated answering phones. I hated, I just hated the front desk stuff. So I would like, you know, Hey, if you need help with this project, like I can help. I'm, I'm teachable. I'm eager, <laughs> like get me out of this desk. Um, so I weaseled my way into marketing. And, um, when, when I found out I was pregnant, I was like, okay, I'm making not, not a lot of money. Yeah. So I got to figure something out. And he was my driving force. Like I more than doubled my income in one year, just because I did research on what kind of certifications and marketing I should get. Like, how could I, how can I make myself marketable as mm. somebody who has no real experience? Right. So mm. like, um, so I did a ton of research and hunkered down on like, how do I self-educate what resources are out there? And it was like, pedal to the metal. Cause it was like, it's not just about me anymore. Like mm. I've got this 
small human that needs care. Um, and unfortunately the, my, my son's father, uh, he was in the program as well. And he relapsed while I was pregnant, ended up getting very ill. Um, he, he has since passed on, but it was, I knew I would be doing it alone. Right. I was like, I can't rely on this person. So it's, it's me. And all right, little, little buddy, we're going to figure it out. (laughs) We're going to learn all this together. Um, but I, I had to make some big choices, right? And like figure out what was most important to me and go, okay, where I'm at right now, I'm not going to be able to take care of a small human. Um, so how how can I empower myself? Mm-hmm. And I sought out mentors. I I mean, and it was humbling, right? To go out there and and you know, you get asked, like, well, what's your background? And it's like, <laughs> well, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. not not what you're looking for, but mm. I promise you, I mm. work hard and I'll take on anything. Mm. Um, I'm always eager to learn. So that was, that was the big shift for me. Well, well, mm-hmm. when suddenly there was actually, uh, something at stake and suddenly mm-hmm. you find yourself in a new role, in a mm-hmm. new, in, on a new mission, so to speak. Right. And this mission was worth it for you. And that was, that is the beautiful thing when we actually come up with a purpose in our life, the why, and, and you figure that out, you Mm -hmm. figure that you became hungry for the right things. Um, and uh, that is cool. Now the next pitfall that there is, you Mm -hmm. go pedal to the metal. That's right. Because we're going to go all out as addicts. We want it now. (laughs) Did you become a workaholic? 100%. One hundred percent. Are you kidding? Absolutely, absolutely. Aren't we just crazy? Aren't we not crazy? But you know, it's always so great to meet a kindred spirit who gets it. That it's like, yeah, this is this is what happened. Like, um, and you know, like when you were talking about the why, right? Yeah. I what I figured out about myself, and it took me a long time to figure this out, is that I me being the why was never enough. And I know that relates a lot back to the trauma. It relates back to the shame. It relates back to, you know, literally feeling like a disposable piece of meat for Mm. a period of time. That was really hard to come out of. But, you know, here, I I could never do it for myself. But thank God for my son, who it was like, okay, I can do it for you. I can, I will always do it for you. Uh So I have to always remember that, that like, a, I'm still working. I'm still working on therapy, um, in therapy on self-compassion and going, I'm enough of a reason, but it's really hard for me to do because <laughs> of all that baggage, right? Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll be a work in progress forever. It's okay. <laughs> oh, please, please. That makes two of us. God. And you go through these waves and sometimes you're really good and sometimes you just fall back into your oh, old, yeah. old habits. And not Absolutely. necessarily that you have got a relapse, but it's the, this is, when you look at, at uh, relapsing, there is a long time before you actually pick up or shoot up or whatever you yes. do. It's the emotional building up to it. You're not looking after yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, stress from external sources piles yeah. up on you. And sooner or later, oh, hello, my dear yeah. old friend. Yeah, whatever, exactly. Whatever that friend is. Right. So. Well, and you know, for me with the the self-care, I still have such a hard time with it. Like I I have, I'm not joking with you, on my work calendar, because self-proclaimed workaholic, I have scheduled time of like self-care. Good. <laughs> your self-care time. <laughs> and because I will follow my calendar to a T. And so when it's like self-care, I'm like, 
okay, I should go meditate for a little bit. Like, oh. okay, Kellen, I'll listen to the calendar. I need to do that. I so need to do that. I'm, it's I'm, so valuable. Oh, please. Yes, yes, yes. No, I mean, it's, um, I'm actually putting the time in, but I, I certainly could do more. <laughs> I try I to get 30, 30 minutes of, of exercise that yeah. dotted over the day. So that's good. And I, I am fiercely defensive of for my sleep so i will yes. nowadays days uh oh, i cherish my sleep because oh, for so too. long for so long with the ptsd and with with your waking up at four o'clock in the morning bing mm-hmm. and you get <laughs> yeah. the worst of stefan of the last 40 years runs yeah. in front of you <laughs> and you exactly. just think oh fuck off no and not yep. again Yes, I yep. treated that girl badly when I was 18 for crying out loud. That is how many decades ago? But you still get the physical response. Do you yeah. do you get physical responses? How how does an anxiety attack um actually work out for you? Ooh, anxiety attacks are rough for me. And um I struggle a lot with anxiety now. And it's um, which is why my self care is scheduled because <laughs> I know if I'm taking care of myself that yeah. those are going to be less frequent. Um, yeah. And so when I, I can always feel when an anxiety attack is coming on, because, you know, obviously, there's like the muscles that lock up and all that mm. kind of stuff. But for me, it's light, like, I'm like, Oh, my God, I got to turn the lights off in here, like my eyes uh, hurt. Uh. And that's like my big flashing, like, Hey, take a break. <laughs> you need to sit down and breathe. Or do something, or this is going to get interesting. bad. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, so it's like a migraine aura, kinda. like like yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah. So very physical responsiveness. Mm-hmm. I mean, your your sympathetic nervous system is going well. Yes, you can imagine it. Uh, why yeah. is the light so bright? Because your sympathetic nervous system is throwing out the adrenaline. Your mm-hmm. eyes go white, and yeah. your pupils, and so that whatever light there is, you think ah. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. How cool yeah. is that? And even like the littlest stress, I can, you know, like I was telling you, when I get yeah. really stressed, I feel it in my hips. Yeah. So I what's really bizarre is like the human body is so cool. I get like this stuff is so exciting to me. And just really like listening to my body, it's like, wow, amazing. So when I get work stress, it's in my jaw and my neck. Uh-huh. <laughs> and when it's like relationship stress, whether that's romantic, friendship, whatever, that's when I'll feel it like in my hips and in my legs. And so it's like where the tension is on my body, I can go, wait a minute, I know this. I know this. (laughs) And I know that this means this for me. It's wild. It's so interesting. But that's, you know, many, many years of learning how to sit in those feelings, right? Which is like the hardest thing in the world. When you have those feelings, you just go stop and lean into it. It's like, I don't want to lean into it. I want to go distract myself. (sighs) I have many emails to send at work. I don't have time for this. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I mean, this is, it's so scary because uh, here your mouth is opening and my words are coming out um, because I feel exactly the same. It is. Oh my goodness. 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 Uh, Wow. 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 I mean, here you are nowadays uh you have got all these insights and you have decided to to come out so to speak you are mm-hmm. you're open you're an open book to people who want to know um more about you where do you see yourself in a year's time two years time I and mean, we are all on this path on this mm-hmm. path of 
becoming maybe better human beings uh, right. on this path of of still healing um yeah. of this path of healing from new trauma i mean the last mm -hmm. three years were bitches wherever you look no one had a good time so yep. uh whilst we are developing who do you want to be oh man that's a big question I know. <laughs> i'm trying to figure out what i'm doing for dinner tonight <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. But I can answer that. I can answer that though. So let me let me back us up a little bit because I um, you know, in the spirit of like I'm I'm always self-educating, always seeking out, you know, ways to be better at whether it's my job, whether it's mm. my therapy, whatever it is, I'm like, I I just soak up, like give me all the information. So I was doing a course um through UGA, which is a, a college out here in Atlanta. And um, part of this whole program was like, create a website, right? And I'd created oh. websites before, but it was like, you had to like, do it a certain way with the right SEO, all these kinds of things. And so when I was doing it, I'm like, God, I've always kicked around this idea of one day starting a nonprofit. And I'm like, so you know, I'll, here's what I'll do. I'll do it based on that. And then when the program's done, I'll just get rid of it. <laughs> like, you know, because that's, that's years down the road. That's the retirement plan. So we're not going there yet. But the more research I did just for creating this website, it was like, and the website, by the way, is butwhatisnext.com. But um, what ended up happening is, you know, I'm digging up like the numbers on the latest statistics on human trafficking and how staggering and volatile those numbers are. And I'm like, doing more research just here in my city in Atlanta. And I'm like, God, we're, we're a hub for it out here. Mm. Um, and it was like, okay, maybe there's something to this. I'm just going to kind of keep pushing this forward. Maybe <laughs> we tried this. Maybe uh. I tried this. And what, what I discovered is like, I can have my day job and I can also start something really big that can help other people. Um, and now the tricky part is that work-life balance, that self-care piece, but I'm so passionate about helping others. And it's just kind of evolved into this thing now where I'm working on my 501c3 status to become like tax, tax man recognized as a, as a nonprofit. And, you know, it's my, my hope is that every person who has gone through trauma and recovery and whatever your journey looks like that, like you mentioned it earlier that, you know, I got out of treatment and, or, or you know, I, I came out to Georgia, I think is what it was. And it was like, well, the story is just beginning. And it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, you see in the movies like, okay, well, look, they accepted the help, right? We've all watched intervention. Oh, they went, they got on the plane. They're going to be fine. And it's like, no, no, because <laughs> then you've got these people who go, okay, well, what's next? I, I don't like now what, what do, what do I do? <laughs> like, exactly. Great. Yeah. I got, I got sober, but like, now what? Now what? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh. yeah. So that's, that's where my heart is. And you know, when goosebumps, actually, you're just describing <laughs> that because it's a so beautiful, it's a so beautiful mm -hmm. what's next. And yeah. this is where the answer lies. This yeah. is where and you and you new plant grows out of out of the snow in the spring. Yeah. And 
And that is beautiful. So who what's what what's the color of your of your uh flower leaves? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you know, this this for me is what's next, right? Like giving back because beautiful. And it was let me tell you, because of the shame around my experience with being trafficked, addiction, like, you know, you can't help but feel like just hopeless and horrible about yourself. And especially the trafficking I held so close to my chest, like nobody needed to know because what would people think, right? And especially dating, you know, what will people think when they hear about that? Like, you know, you can't help but believe that you're damaged goods. And it's like, I know now today that I am not, but it's a, it's a core belief that I've had to fight with everything that I've got. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's oh gosh, I lost the point of where I was going, and it was going to be so good. Hold up, on <laughs> damage, good. No, 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 and that's but that is normal. That is normal because we're going to go. That is that is how powerful our memories can sometimes be. And just interject, but you are on, on on a trajectory towards towards doing an NGO. You are going out there to make yes. this world a better place. Yes, and I just remembered where I was going with what I was saying about just sharing my personal story. Yeah. Right that. It is such a horrific cliche of, you know, one of, one of the things, and I'm going to be honest with you. When I first came out to Georgia, I, I was not aware that I was trafficked, if that makes sense, because in my head, I was like, well, that doesn't happen to people like me, right? Like middle-class Southern California, parents are still together in love. Like everything's, that doesn't happen Mm. to people like me. And it wasn't until, you know, when I came out to Georgia, I had to meet with law enforcement, met with law enforcement for a long time after all this happened. But um, it wasn't until I was with law enforcement and they described it as trafficking. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, Uh but me? Um, And, you know, because I think in my head, I didn't know how else to reconcile what had happened to me. I just knew it sucked. But, um, But that was a tricky thing to come to. And so putting myself out there and sharing my story. Oh, <laughs> that, was, that was scary. So I, I published a book last year and it details, you know, my journey. And the, the whole point is to support the nonprofit, right? Of like, Hey, mm-hmm. you can find your successful you, you can determine what you want out of life, like figure out your dream career. And like, Hey, if you want to do that, here's, here's the steps that I took. Here's what I did. I am your case study. <laughs> like I did it. <laughs> It worked for me. It might work for you. Um, But I had to make a big decision of how much of my story I put in there. And I had one of my friends proofread it. And I I like really skimmed over it. Okay. Initially it was like, oh, and this happened. And now we move on. Um, But they were like that your story is a book in and of itself. You have to give more, more credence to that. And you have to show that like, you know what you're talking about because you've been to Helen back. And so writing those first couple of chapters and incorporating my, my experience throughout the book was really hard emotionally to revisit that I had to really move slow as I was writing and go really pay attention to like, how am I feeling? (laughs) You know, like you talked about those nights where you wake up in the middle of the night and it's like, am I really going to put this out there? Like, Mm. Um, but you know, I, I wrote it and when I published it, it was like, okay, it's out there. No turning back. Um, and I'll never forget when my, my company, like my day job company, they were like, we found out that you wrote a book. Okay. So here's what they did. 
<laughs> They're so sweet. But we operate a couple of different online media publications. And so on one of them, I, I go to our site and there are banners promoting me and my book all over it. Ah, I love and I'm it. Like, love it. Well, but here's the thing is I'm like, I know none of them have read it. And so I'm like, do they know? No, 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 no. I'm sure. I'm sure. No, 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 no. They will have read it. There will be one person. That's right. There will be one person for sure there. Yes. And many of my coworkers did read it and were very sweet. And they were like, I never would have guessed, right? Like you're so positive and like, so, so happy little ray of sunshine. And I always explain to them that like, yeah, I'm extremely happy and extremely grateful because in my mind, the fact that I'm here is like, Oh my God, I'm so good. I'm so good. Exactly. <laughs> I'm I'm walking around. I'm okay. Every day is a good day. <laughs> but that is the that is the the gift that we get from trauma. That is the 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 opportunity. We we don't take life for granted. We we take every second that we are given uh as a as a choice, as a privilege. Mm-hmm. And we I certainly nowadays live far more intentional. Um, and that is, that is actually really, really beautiful. Um, it's, it's interesting because I am changing. I Mm -hmm. don't suffer fools lightly. So the worst thing you can do to me is actually put me in a room with boring people. And I just have (laughs) to be there to do small talk. I'm dying. I'm, I'm, ah, no, no, no. This is wasted time. I could do something for myself. I could do something for others. I could do, I don't know what I could do, but this is just painful. Um, so Maybe I'm becoming a crumpy old man. No, but but you see, this is why you're so good at your podcast, right? You're a great host. I really enjoyed this conversation. And it's because you're like, okay, there's something to pull out of everybody. And we've all got our own unique experiences. And what's so funny is like, think about how different we are. We were literally on like opposite ends of the planet. And yet we we get each other, right? Like (laughs) scarily so. Scarily. (laughs) But you you're you're doing something with that that energy and that creativity. And like you said, living really intentionally. And Mm. you know, I um I I try every day to write a gratitude list and usually doesn't happen every day. But when I do, <laughs> I have to tell you that, that my trauma makes the list because I'm like, I think back to, like I was telling you, the person that I was like, I am somebody, look at me. Uh, and I'm not that person anymore. And like, yes, it's like, Hey, listen to me because I have a story to tell and you might know somebody who I can help. Yeah. Like it, it's a vast difference in how I view myself and the people around me and the world around me. And it's, I'm like, I, none of that would have happened if my life didn't take the path that it did as weird as that sounds like, Beautiful. okay, I'm grateful for my trauma. Mm. It would have been great if it didn't happen, but mm. it did. And no. this is, it is refined. See that I, you are the 381st guest I had on my show. Wow. I can't, I cannot remember anyone who said, yes, I would not like my trauma to not have happened it's mm-hmm. virtually everyone if you ask them either on record or, or off the show mm-hmm. hey, look you know if you could go back would you change it uh i cannot remember anyone who said yes i would completely wipe it out because yeah. the people that we were when the trauma happened to us they were often not the nicest people and they were so right. different people compared with the person who you are now 
mm-hmm. this ray of sunshine that you are now, you're not an obnoxious ray. You are just oh, actually okay. <laughs> <laughs> you are just actually that that kind of candle in the darkness for someone else. You are the girl Aww. that says hello to someone, uh, and this person was maybe in in some dark thoughts, and the sheer fact that you said hello with a smile made their day. I bet you you are a woman who treats the cleaner better than the CEO. And Always. That, exactly. <laughs> so exactly. I'm the same. And that is what makes us different. Mm-hmm. We have, we have, we are choosing to live our life intentional and to make this best out of this, these precious seconds here on earth. Um yeah. And therefore, it's beautiful. So please don't stop. Please keep going in the beautiful work that you're doing. And Thank no doubt, you. this will be like a snowball throwing down a, a steep incline that turns into an avalanche. Um, I hope so. so. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly right. Uh, Sarah, when people, where if people want to try to find you and and go to you, where shall they go? Uh, so you can go to the website, but what is next? dot com or you can find me on Instagram. I don't really frequent any other social media platforms, Fantastic. but on Instagram, um, there is the but what is next page, which is it's a mouthful, but dot what dot is dot next. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But what is it, next was already taken. <laughs> oh, I see what you say. Oh, cool. So guys to get creative. Look down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast and uh, all the information is there. You just need to click on it. And, and what have you got to lose? Come on, guys, explore Sarah's work, um, <laughs> support her, maybe support us by clicking the like and subscribe button and maybe tell your friends and forward a link the various social media channels to uh, to my show and to this episode. Um, I had a ball of a time, Sarah. Thank you, so, thank you so much for for the, the work that you're doing. I think if we just keep going, we can't change the world. We can't change the, the war in the Ukraine. We can't churn, mm-hmm. uh, change any other huge challenges, but we can change how we behave and how we model uh, maybe a healthier life to the people around us. And with that, we become beacons of hope. And I think that mm. is that is the legacy that I want to leave uh, on this earth that I never gave up. And uh, yeah, warts and all, it's me, but uh, I try to make the best out of it. And I know you are doing the same. Yeah. So thank you yes. so much for being a guest yes. on my show. Thank you. This has been a blast. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys out there, come on, go out there, look after yourself and live with passion. Okay. Bye. <laughs> I never give up, I never give up, I never give up, turn around.